Welcome back, folks. I'm David Kane. I'm your host of the 30 to Give Leadership Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed last week's introduction to the seven laws of achievement. It's been a pleasure to share that with you. Uh, this is a six-series podcast, and today we're going to introduce to you the first law of achievement, the law of attitude. I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, please share it uh, with your friends and others. Thank you very much. Let's get started. So chapter one, the law of attitude. The first law of achievement rightfully starts with your attitude. It states the beginning of your success starts with how you think. Now, Webster Dictionary defines attitude as a feeling of emotion toward a fact or a state. The foundation of every successful achievement must be a solid feeling or belief that the mountaintop will indeed be reached. This foundation must be rock solid and firm. Otherwise, it's not a foundation. It must stand strong and and fast under all circumstances. Why is this so? You know, there's a saying that goes like this. Regardless of your lot in life, you are either heading into a life storm, you're in a life storm, or you're coming out of a life storm. Your beliefs must be strong enough to endure each of these scenarios. A weak attitude and thus a weak foundation provides no more than a recipe for failure because setbacks and storms will constantly rear up. You must believe beyond a shadow of doubt that no matter how the wind blows, you will remain steadfast. Achieving a positive attitude is is not always intuitive. I mean, I personally have not always had a positive attitude toward life or my ability to succeed. In my early years, I faced a harsh reality as I watched my two older brothers struggle against the allure of drugs and alcohol abuse. Their addictions shackled their God-given gifts and talents, and they were high school dropouts as a result. In a similar fashion, although she did not struggle with drugs or alcohol, my older sister followed her brother's lead, and she also failed to procure uh, just her high school diploma. Now, with this model before me, I became very, very close to accepting that it was just a matter of time before my feet would stumble down the same path. I had no tools to fight against such a fate, and I knew no one at the time who could convince me that my life would be any different than theirs. However, I had something that my other siblings did not have at the time, and when the time came, I chose to listen to a message I received. It was a hot summer night, and I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep. My my younger brother, with whom we shared a bed, was already asleep when a song came on the radio that would forever change my life. The song, The Greatest Love, not written by Whitney Houston, but written by jazz artist George Benson. It seemed to speak directly to me, and I listened intently, and it was as if God himself had sent a message to me. More than three decades later, that chorus still remains in my life, and that chorus goes like this. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I failed, if I succeed, at least I lived as I believed. And no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. 
after hearing these words, I mean, I immediately sat up and I wondered, wow, is it my destiny to live the life of my siblings? Is it the simple matter of just choosing to be different that will make me different? I believe that God answered my prayers that night through my interpretation of that song. My very own questions enabled me to see that I did not have to accept my siblings' fate as my own. I could be different simply by choosing to be different. There and then, I chose to adopt a new attitude, one that was positive and based on a future that would be far different than my present reality. I drifted to sleep that night very peacefully, and I woke up fresh. While performing the morning ritual of washing my face and brushing my teeth, I stared back at the reflection that faced me in the bathroom mirror. And I did this for a full 10 minutes without blinking. I made a promise to myself right then and right there to adopt and hold my new attitude and outlook on life, no matter what it had in store. And as it turns out, my new attitude was actually grounded in more than just a song. The theory behind attitude. According to cognitive theory, our attitudes are directly linked to our values. Our values drive our belief system, and our belief system impacts our attitudes. It's no secret that our attitudes are great predictors of our behavior and actions. The interesting fact is that our attitudes, which are anchored by our values, they're not chosen for us at birth. We choose them. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white. You were not born with your values. You were not born with your attitudes either. You develop them in a similar fashion. As it is true that you can choose your values, it is also true that you can choose your attitude. Consider the connections I shared with my brothers. We were all born into the same family. We all had the same parents, all went to the same schools, had the same teachers, and pretty much experienced the same positive and negative life experiences. The key difference between my three older siblings and me is a simple fact that I adopted a different value system, which triggered a different attitude which triggered different behaviors. Now, trust me, I'm making no claim to be better than them in any shape, form, or fashion. I simply chose a different attitude. Another interesting attribute of successful people is that they have an unwavering belief that they will be successful at whatever they attempt. I remember like it was yesterday what happened to me right after I, I adopted my, my new value system or my new attitude. No, my, my situation at home didn't change. I mean, we were still poor. That didn't change. We still struggled. I didn't know how or when I would be successful. I just knew that it would come. And I now valued education and I had made a promise to myself Almost immediately, my teachers noticed a big change in me. My new belief system influenced my behavior and my approach to homework. My grades improved significantly. Where I had once been close to failing courses, I was soon enjoying being in the elite rank in the top 10% of students in my class. 
And you know, that was just the beginning. I remember on July 4th, 1978, one year after first hearing that fateful George Benson ballad, I sat on the asphalted basketball court with a group of my friends from the neighborhood. We had spent the entire day playing in the hot summer sun. In two months, we would all begin what would be our last year of high school. Now, with sweat dripping from our brows and the 90-degree heat, I took the opportunity to engage in a forward-thinking conversation that was representative of my optimistic outlook on life. I said, man, I can't believe that we're going into our last year of high school, guys. It's going to be great. When we were all successful adults, I said that with a smile on my face. Yeah, I'm going to be a computer programmer, someone shouted from the group. Oh, I'm going to be a banker, another person shouted. Uh, another person said, I'm going to play for the Minnesota Vikings. And that was my best friend, Red. And Red was the starter on, on the high school football team. And I really believed, like many others, that he would indeed most likely go on to play professional football and for the Minnesota Vikings. And then it came my turn to speak. I said, me? I'm going to be an engineer. Red cracked up laughing. His outburst created a chorus of laughter amongst everybody else. He knew about my family, that my older brothers and sisters had been high school dropouts. He knew about the drugs. He knew about the alcohol. He knew about the financial struggles my family had. To Red, I was just as likely to set foot on the moon as to go to college and become an engineer. I'll tell you what. He said, I'll let you and your wife be my janitor while I'm playing for the Vikings, he carried on, causing everyone else to just laugh a bit louder. With my back against the wall and still possessing a positive attitude, I issued a challenge to everyone sitting on that hot asphalt as the moon began to appear and the daylight to dwindle. Okay, here's what we'll do, I said. We will all agree to meet back here in this same spot 10 years from now when we have achieved those goals. Do we have a deal? I somehow spoke bravely, all while trying to silence the laughter with this bold dare. Not one person backed away or expressed reluctance, calling me on my statement. As a matter of fact, a round of high five hand slaps traveled around the sitting circle indicating unanimous agreement. We agreed that in 10 years' time, we would meet back in the same park at the same time on the same day. On July 4th, 1988, at 9 p.m., I went back to the park as agreed. I was hopeful and anticipated a joyous reunion. I mean, my anticipation just uh, disappeared quickly when uh, I discovered that I was the only soul on the court over the age of 12. I waited for two hours but no one ever showed up. I was the only one from the group that had achieved their stated goal. It was one of the saddest moments of my life. The odds against me were enormous, bigger than those of most others. For many years, I wondered why I had been the only one who returned. Now I know the answer. It was my attitude. What I experienced on the court that day was what researchers call cognitive dissonance theory. Cognitive dissonance theory, theory refers 
to your belief that something is true even when there is great evidence that it may not be true. Now, there was clear evidence that my goal to be an engineer should have never been realized, but my overriding faith and positive attitude did not accept the evidence. In the book, The Choice of Yours, Today's Decisions for the Rest of Your Life by John Maxwell, he concluded that more than any other factor, attitude has the greatest potential to determine what we get out of life. And looking back over that time, I have to admit that I agree with Mr. Maxwell. 100% it was attitude. Consider my first job. Though I am now able to articulate exactly what a good attitude accomplished, I did not have uh, a few anxious moments. Uh, I did have a few anxious moments along the way, but but I, I kept going forward. I remember at age 19, I, I applied for a, my first engineering job. I was a second semester freshman and a, and a bit wet behind the ears. Not a bit wet, a lot wet behind the ears. I had four years ahead of me and and before I completed my engineering degree, but I needed money in the worst way. I tried to get a job in the co-op program at school in in, in engineering, but, you know, the counseling office told me that I had to wait a full year before I could apply, that I had to be a, a sophomore. These were considered to be plum jobs because they paid an average salary of $500 every two weeks, but, you know, that's pretty good money when you're a freshman. But the school, again, frowned on freshmen working in the program. And so, you know, I, I struggled with it. But but I, like in, in meet of my peers, I interpreted this guidance to mean that the school did not believe that freshmen students were mature enough to handle the rigors of, of a corporate environment, which I don't believe even today. My attitude and growling stomach disagreed on these points. So undeterred, I set out on a Monday morning determined to prove that the academians were wrong. So I put on my best suit. It was a, it was a two-piece number that I bought from JCPenney. Uh, I walked into uh, you know, the first engineering firm that crossed my path downtown Detroit. The first one I saw, I took the elevator up to the 10th floor of, of a huge building and stepped out into my first real corporate America venture. Full of confidence, I opened the large wooden door that had the name of, of some company written on it. All I saw was engineering, and I walked in toward a receptionist who sat in the center of a large waiting area. In a polite manner, I asked if I could meet with the president of the firm. The receptionist asked me if I had an appointment, and I replied that I did not. Before she could point me in the direction of the door, I told her of my desire to work there and how I believed that I could be an asset to the firm. Impressed with my attitude, she asked me to take a seat, explaining as she walked away that she was going to check on the availability of the president. Within minutes, within minutes, I'm sorry, a short man with with a perfect haircut and a flashy smile emerged from an office, his right hand outstretched towards mine. He introduced himself as the president of the firm, and I stood immediately, and I shook his hand. I told him my name and followed him back to his office. Once we were seated at his large paper-covered oak desk, I started into the five-minute drill that I had rehearsed in my mind, and I remember the conversation went something like this. 
let me get this right. Um, you are still in your freshman year and you haven't taken a technical course yet. Is that correct? He asked me. Uh, yeah, that, that's right, sir, I replied. Then why should I hire you? He queried me. With a confident look on my face, I smiled and responded, because I am confident that I can do whatever assignment you give me, and I know that I'll be a great employee who will help your company grow. And an eerie silence filled the room right after that. He sat back in his chair, and it almost felt as if he were looking straight through me. That was it. I mean, the entire interview took every bit of 10 minutes, and in the end, I was offered a job as an engineering technician, having very little exposure to the engineering field at the time. I spent hours sitting at a drafting board designing anti-corrosive protection systems to be used at companies like General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford. And I carry Ford undisturbed. You know, my positive attitude just propelled me forward every day that I went on that job. And I learned quickly. Every day I got better and better. People around me started to help me because of my attitude. I stayed there for two years before moving on into an engineering job at General Motors. I mean, I'm proof positive of what hiring professionals have noted. It is so hard to measure attitude that almost half of all people that are hired in organizations fail within 18 months. And almost 90% of employees fail because of attitude issues. Those who are correctly assessed as having and who exhibit a proper attitude, they do succeed. And I was, I was no exception to that. Working it forward with confidence and feeling. Historically, professionals have given great credence to the importance of a good attitude. Human resource specialists are no exception here. Dr. Alan Davidson, who's president of Psychological Consultants to Management, argued that people who have the right attitude are more likely to acquire the skills they need to do the job. Numerous HR professionals believe that those with the right attitude are also more likely to learn new skills once on the job and to develop and progress more rapidly than those who struggle with a poor attitude. This theory is also backed by John Maxwell, who posited that if two people are equal in talent, the winning edge will always go to the person with the right attitude. And over the years, I myself have led numerous recruitment teams and hired hundreds of people to work in a variety of positions. And I have found that putting this view into practice is rewarding. At the end of each interview session, I ask every interview panel that I've ever led one final question regarding their perspective of each person that they've interviewed. And my comment went something like this. As things can and they will sometimes get bad and gloomy in our business environment, do you believe that this individual possesses an attitude that they can help us make things better? That's it. If the answer was a resounding yes, the candidate's chances of gaining employment with my team, uh, you know, uh, decreased. Um Although technical skills were important, I sometimes placed equal, if not higher, value on the candidate's attitude. 
Thus, the majority of the work teams that I have assembled over the years have been based on an attitude first and skill second approach to hiring. The result has been a strong string of successful teams, many of who have begun in lower level jobs and have used their attitude to attain positions of general managers, vice presidents, even presidents have come from my team. Experience has proven that John Maxwell was right and argued that people may not have control over their circumstances that may have placed them in their present situation, but that they always have the option to choose to have a good attitude and that living by this choice reaps rewards. There is one more aspect to this, and it completes our study of attitude. David Niven, author of 100 Simple Secrets of Successful People, analyzed the result of hundreds of research studies that focused on achievement and the role that confidence plays. He concluded that a key attribute of successful people is that they believe in themselves more than others. Consider the words of, of the Bible uh, as, as it pertains to this, as it pertains to this. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In other words, a man will become what he believes. Another revelation in this, uh, in this passage that is worth noting is that the power of belief is greatest when it stems from the heart rather than the brain. And I used to always ask myself, why the heart? Well, when people commit something to the brain, there's a good chance that obstacles can enter. However, when something is committed to the heart, a pack of wild dogs is needed to get through. In other words, your head may fool you, but your heart will never lie. When you commit to something with your heart, your thoughts and actions will be driven by an attitude that is not easily swayed. I mean, in the book, The Heart Has Its Own Brain and Consciousness, researchers Bradley, McCready, and Tomasino concluded that the heart is a sensory organ that is actually capable of processing information. Research has even shown that the heart actually sends signals to the brain and that the heart can influence the brain's decision-making functions. This means that the heart knows what's going on long before your brain does. A few years ago, while living in Alabama, I stumbled upon a, a baseball nestled in the red clay dirt outside of the home run fence of the high school that was near my house. I picked up the ball and examined it closely. The slightly dented patch on one of its faces and the location of the ball together were dead giveaways. This was probably a home run that was hit many, many moons ago. Now, I'm not a baseball player, and you may not be either, but this was a major league park. Ask any pro, and they will tell you that hitting a ball traveling at 90 miles per hour is one of the most difficult things any athlete ever does. It's so difficult that if you can hit a ball three out of ten times, your performance is considered well above average, even among the pro ranks. Whoever hit that baseball out of the park probably had not approached home plate thinking, oh my God, I'm going to strike out. Oh my God, I'm going to strike out. I believe that it was quite the opposite. That person approached believing in his or her heart that they would hit a home run. Ten years later, that red dirt cover baseball 
It's still covered, it's still red, and it's sitting at my desk. However, in addition to the red stain, it is now covered with very positive quotes from the Bible and, and other world leaders that I've read or heard about, and it sits under protective glass sitting on my desk. And every morning before I start my day, I look at that baseball and remind myself of the importance of attitudes. You know, inspiration can come from anywhere. And your good attitude will help you to find it. Thank you very much. I'm David Kane, and this has been another podcast, another presentation of 30 to Give, where anyone with a smartphone can be a mentor, and anyone with a smartphone can find a mentor. Download the app today at either Google Play or in the Apple App Store. Thank you for listening. Uh, the best, and Remember, the best way to pay someone back for the good that they've done is to pay it forward. Thank you very much. God bless. I'm David Kane.